This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Can Hi, we, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Good morning, good morning, Professor Warthog here in the Warthog Man Cave, Manly Man Cave Command Center in the undisclosed location. We're inside the Mellon Law Studio and we're in the Piney Woods fogged in today. I tell you, you can't see the proverbial hand in front of your face. So if you're out there on the road, you've got to be careful. Uh, I kind of like the fog. It just settles in. It always reminds me of the opening of Hamlet uh, when the ghost appears through the fog and uh, they don't know quite what it is, and then he disappears again, and what a dramatic opening. And believe me, there are such things as ghosts. If you don't believe me, just ask me, huh? And um, they come in all different forms, and you'd be amazed. Um, uh, so if you haven't seen Hamlet, you ought to see Hamlet. If you haven't seen Dance Alive National Ballet, Nutcracker, which is what we're going to talk about for the next half hour with our good friend Emily Bozak, who is a, wears all the hats you can imagine and is incredibly confident and helpful in so many ways, um, dance instructor, dancer, um, brainiac. I, I can't think of enough things to compliment her. And all of them would be, you know, ineffic inefficient, really, and fulfilling what she's all uh, capable of doing. She's one of the most organized ladies I've been around and happy and cheerful all the time, uh, which is a great attribute in our world today of, you know, cloudy, suspicious, over our shoulder people who are always wondering what the motives of people are. I think Emily's motives are just as pure as you can get. And that is to help us present a good product for you in this community uh, with Dance Alive National Ballet, which uh, we do each year with Nutcracker, was performing both Friday and Saturday night. Uh, she'll fill in some blanks for me. I think we had a special uh, performance just um, last night for the little kids from the St. Augustine School for, Bluff, uh, for the Deaf and Blind. Uh, which is a, a very dramatic thing to, to watch because um, they don't see it and they, they feel it on the floor, putting their hands on the floor. So it's a big experience for them. So we fulfill many um, needs in the community with dance. Uh, we have the adults who react to it. We have the young ones who, of course, get very uh, jittery about it. Jittery, I mean, jittery. I mean, uh, I'm looking for the word. Uh, giddy about it. That's what I'm looking for. It's really exciting to them. So uh, we're going to talk with Emily for about the next half hour. If you've got a question or comment, why kick in here on the Facebook uh, live with us or get us on the Melon Law hotline 352-325-3938. So um, Emily, I got a, a, well, what a tough act to follow what I just said, right? You got <laughs> I didn't cover all the bases, but uh, uh, you know more than I do about what's going on with Nutcracker and how it's doing and whatever you want to talk about, I'm going to follow you now. So uh, what have we got to look forward to and what does the public need to know what's going on next Great. week? Well, thank you for having me, Warden. I mean, with that introduction, I'm just <laughs> ready to finish out my day because I've gotten all my accolades and that was lovely. Um, yeah, we're so excited at Dance Alive. It is the season of Nutcracker. Um, 
you know, it's a holiday classic for families and the Nutcracker that Dance Alive presents is one of the best in the world. And I am a Nutcracker snob. I uh, have been known to give my critiques about Nutcrackers, but this Nutcracker is just so, it's just so good. It's filled with that holiday spirit that everyone loves uh, and beautiful world-renowned dancing. So they're really excited. Um, they're finishing out their, their run of it. They've already been touring with Nutcracker. We've been in um, South Carolina and in Georgia and Lake City and Ocala and Alachua. And now we are finishing out in the, our home, which is Gainesville at the Phillips Center. It is sat Friday and Saturday. Yes, Saturday. Oh, no, Saturday and Sunday. Excuse me. Wrong dates. Saturday and Sunday, the 18th and the 19th, 2 o'clock and 7.30. So lots of opportunities to see it. And it is just, I mean, it, 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 you leave feeling so good. And everyone is happy. So we're really excited about that. Well, you know, one of the interesting things about it, it has so many people who get to participate from the professional dancers mm -hmm. to the apprentices, if you will. Let's talk mm -hmm. about that for a moment because they're, yeah. the little kids are, are going to dance school right now who may never become, you know, the ballerina yet are enjoying the training and the discipline and the education. Get an mm -hmm. opportunity to be in this production. Am I right to about To be able that? to perform. Yeah, that's yeah. something that's really special about the Nutcracker Um you know, one, I think it has it has a lot to do with why it's become a holiday tradition, because it's there. There are children. There are not always children in um, professional ballets um, and Nutcracker has them. So it's a great opportunity because we have a professional company, which are dancers from around the world that are here, that this is their job. This is what they do. But then they're also alongside on stage with our um apprentices, as you call them, we have our next generation ballet, which are, those are the older students that are really dedicated, hoping to get to that professional level. But then we have students as young as five, I think five and six is the youngest and all the way up because we have our party scene in the opening of the first act. If you've seen the Nutcracker, there's kids at the party scene. Um, and then we have angels and we have tumblers and we have all of these other exciting moments and it's really exciting for the kids because they get to perform on stage with the professionals which doesn't happen except really once a year which is the nutcracker and i also think what is so special about the nutcracker is because it is an annual tradition um you start out and you work your way up through the cast um so a lot of dancers like Rachel, who is a professional dancer with the company, I know that she's been on your show. She grew up dancing at Poe Falls, which is the resident company of Dance Alive, the resident dance studio. And she has been doing this Nutcracker since she was a little girl. Amazing. So she has, I mean, it's so neat because you get to see it as, and as a child, you know, you get to be, you know, the first thing is, you know, maybe you're cast as an angel and then you hope you get to be a party girl. And then you hope you get to be the older party girl. And then you hope that maybe I get to be one of the, one of the rats in the, in the, um, in the, in the battle scene. And then, you know, you work your way all the way up to, even if you don't reach the professional level, you know, a lot of people will start when they're young and go all the way through their high school career. And they can look back and remember when they were a toy soldier and remember when they were a party girl and remember and all of that. I think there's a lot of legacy in that. That's just, that's just so special. Um, and people, you know, really, look forward to that as, as well. So I think that's a fun part that I think people enjoy watching in the audience as well, knowing that they're seeing kind of these evolutions of generations 
on stage. Well, we have a, um, a um, I, I think is asking about what the dress code is for attending the performance. I don't know that there's a dress code for the performance, although we'll talk about costumes in a moment. Yeah. That's so an elaborate part of the show. But that is. Come as you, come as you are, right? For I was going to say, yeah. you are, we will see, we will see every level of things. You'll see people that are coming and just their, what they're comfortable in. Um, there is no dress code. You will not, uh, I mean, you have to wear shoes and a shirt to get to Philip Center. <laughs> you well, know, Phillip Center, let's friends. ask a better question. Are there mask requiring or social distancing there? I've lost track of that. Um, I have lost track. I believe, you know, I'm not, it's, it's so constantly changing. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I believe that it's, I, you know, I, you know, Ward, I don't actually know the answer to that because, you know, you University of Florida has been so up and down because students, you know, I, I teach at UF and we had to wear a mask, but then at sporting events, you don't. So I'm not sure where the Phillips Center is lying okay. currently in that they'll have they'll have um i'm just not sure if they're enforcing their mask mandate at the moment i know there's i know uf stand is they would prefer masks just for the safety but i'm not sure um a hundred percent on that but I um i don't know if that's what our our our, our, our uh, yep but as long as as, as, yeah, as that's well, what he says he meant he says I'll yeah i can I and i i know i mean let me look i can check really quick because it like i said it has gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, um, but. I don't think there is a requirement. I think it has, I think it has been dropped, but I hate to say that and then. Well, know. nothing else, I mean, we'll check it over to Fortnite here and. Uh, yeah. Um, and get back tomorrow. Um, although Plantation Marks is a cameo tuxedo with a blaze orange ball cap. Yeah, <laughs> he would. <laughs> I was gonna say, and what I think I love about the Nutcracker is, the audience is you have, you know, people that they just come every year and then you have people they're bringing their, their daughters or their grand, you know, their grandchildren. And you'll see little girls dressed to the nines. You know, we, we get a mix of everything. There'll be people that will, you know, this is a big holiday outing for a lot of people, but then you also have people that are just, you know, happy to be there and they're in their jeans and that's perfectly acceptable too. There's no, uh, you know, I, I think it's a in, in between of, of, of all of those. So you will see it all, but well, I'll, I'll take this opportunity also to say to some of the people watching here, um, I'm able to provide provide a flex ticket for uh, a person who might want to go. And that flex ticket then is exchanged by you who received it from me uh, mm -hmm. for the seat you want. But you have to go to Phillips Center yourself to the yes. ticket window, which I think opens at three o'clock in the afternoon and exchange mm -hmm. it for the seat you want. So if anybody wants a. Uh, uh, and any, you know, flex ticket for you, you know, your children, you, your wife, a little bit. Um, you can let me know here on the screen at Facebook chat live as we're talking or uh, text me uh, uh, or email me. It's easy to get all that information off the website. So uh, let me know if you're interested. We'll make arrangements. I've already provided. That is that is very nice of you. And it definitely is something everybody should see. If you if you haven't seen it in a long time or you've never seen it or you just saw it last year, please come see it again, because it's every single year, it's just such a great show. And one I want to be sure everybody understands, it's a ticket for you to get your own ticket. Um, but it, but you can't, free, you can't get the ticket uh, without paying for it unless you have what I'm going to give you, which is a little, uh, uh, you know, little flex ticket that allows you to trade it for 
free for CC. So I have the answer. Okay. It says, oh, maybe that's the Phillips Center in Houston. Let's see. I'm looking. I'm trying to find the. Uh, well, we'll find it. Maybe, yeah. maybe we employ production to do a uh, check on that for us. He's reading a comic book, I think. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it says, due to the surge. I have to keep these guys on the toes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but let's, let's assign that to production if he can come up yes. with that. And we'll do the best we can do. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the costumes because this is always a challenge. And uh, behind the scenes story is always a story behind the story. Uh, these ladies mm -hmm. make many of these costumes themselves. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of volunteer uh, labor, if you will, to prepare for this production. Uh, can you give us some inside baseball on that? Yeah, I mean, the, there are so many costumes that go into the Nutcracker. It is really astronomical. Um, they are, every year we're always making updates and adding new costumes, but also just adding to the costumes that we have. Um, it's a big deal, like I said, I talked about what's so fun about the um, the students is, for instance, the party girls, which you see in the first act, um, which are the guests that come to the party, those dresses are, they're just, they're phenomenal, but they have a costume fitting that happens in September and they get to pick, they get assigned their party dresses. And I was actually at the studio when it happened and the buzz and excitement from the students was just so genuine and so sweet because they're walking in and they're going, what color am I going to get? Am I going to get the teal one? Am I going to get the red one? Am I going to, I want the purple one. I'm so excited. And, you know, it's kind of, again, this passing down this legacy of, which costume, but you know, all of those have to be altered and fit to the exact student for the year. Um, you know, and, and after a full run of a season, right, they're touring the costumes. Trust me, I have, I have laundered them. They have a lovely smell to them. Um, the sweat and <laughs> love that goes into them. Um, and, you know, ballet costumes are, are delicate, you know, they're, they're why they're durable because we wear them so often. They're still, you know, when you see them on stage, they're, they're delicate and they're beautiful and the tool and all of that. So we have um, Chris Takashima, who is one of our, as our costumer that helps, but also Judy and Kim and, and moms and people within the studio are constantly working and updating and if you go backstage before you'll see needle and thread and it's you know every day I feel like there you know there's something new to do so the costuming starts um really in the summer uh, we pull out all of the costumes from the warehouse and like I said the beginning of September we start we start the process which really to think about it I mean if it's the beginning of September people aren't yet singing the dun da 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 you know the, the nutcracker music but rehearsals are are far in and it's, you know, it's all, it's all happening. So by the time these shows hit in December, I mean, it is really accumulation of just so much work and so much excitement, but the costumes are definitely something that are just, it's a spectacle within themselves. And just to see, you know, the prima ballerinas and their beautiful tutus. Um, and it's talk just, it's, it's really scene. special. Let's talk about the one scene where the little children run underneath the skirt. Yes, yes, that is, um, you know, in, in the history of Nutcrackers, there's a lot of names for that um, scene. Some people that they, they, she's called Mother Ginger and all this. But yes, there is a enormous um, dress. And actually, one of the really fun things that we do at our fundraising events to kick off our season, Meet the Dancers, which happened this year at the Cade. Um, it happened um, the first week of October. We actually auction off 
a chance to be Mother Ginger. Oh, really? And we love it. Um, Mayor Poe of Gainesville has done it for the past couple of years. He'll be there again. I believe he's the Sunday matinee. Um, a lot of people like to get it for their husbands or their friends. Gary Ascani, who's our board president, has been Mother Ginger. <laughs> Ward is going to be high on the list for his <laughs> thing. But it is, um, and actually, um, Cornelia from Sweetwater, she's going to do it this year. Um, and it's a really fun thing because there's, it's a huge dress with a hoop skirt. And oh, huge. Yeah. It's enormous. And all of the kids get underneath it. And they and you come out on stage and then they yeah. lift up the skirt and the kids come out and they tumble and it's a whole spectacle. But it's it's really fun because if you go to the shows this weekend, you'll have to look because there'll be some special guests that you'll be seeing in that role, which is really <laughs> exciting. You know, that is that is really I didn't realize we auctioned the thing off and anybody do and they get it for the husband or whatever. It's uh, it's really uh, audience participation in the highest level. Uh, oh, it definitely it's a is. Big moment. It's a big moment in the drama. It's a very, and it's very um, recognizable music. It's the dun 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 dun. It's music that everyone knows. And and uh, Larry Wern, who is another one of our supporters of Dance Alive, he loves to do it. He <laughs> it, he always, um, you know, he said, I'll, even if he wasn't going to be there, I'll bid on it. And he want he gets all of his friends to come in the front <laughs> row, and it's it's a moment of of uh of shining and, and it's it's really fun and it's really fun for the 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 kids that are in that piece as well because it's just there's so much excitement and it, it's 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 great did that raise a little bit of money did it i suppose it did I, yeah it, yeah no it, it does it always does i mean it's just and it's a really great way because i think people you know because dance live is a nonprofit organization so all of your donations are tax deductible so it's a i think it's a really fun way to give to give to the company, but also you get to experience, you get to be backstage, you get to, it, you're oh, part yeah. of the show. I yeah, mean, it's so, the it's, show. it's definitely, where some people, one. some people definitely don't want to be part of the show, but other people do. And I think we always find a mix in between of, you know, the people that, you know, I've, I've known people that have bought it for their husbands and said, no, you're doing it, <laughs> you know, oh. but other ones that, you know, like I said, we have other people that just, that just love it, but it, it's a lot of fun. So when you're at the show, it's in the second act. Um, be sure to be sure to take a look at who's who's under that big dress because <laughs> might be someone you know. And if you want to be that person, if you come to our Meet the Dancers event in the fall, you have the opportunity there you go. To, you got a shot to win that. that person. Yeah. Tom Lemmy Pozak, who's uh, helped out so much, as so many people do with Dance Live, they just chip in and put your shoulder to it. And uh, it's not possible without a lot of that sort of uh, volunteer work so to speak, to um, keep us going. Now, it has been a challenge, you know, to keep Dance Alive National Ballet viable uh, with COVID and all the other things that have attacked the world. But, you know, Dance Alive done a very good job of it. It's still traveling and still going to different places and everyone's relatively healthy. I mean, there might be a hiccup here and there, uh, but they recovered quite quickly. These dancers are in tremendous condition. Um, probably the best condition people you'll ever bump into. I mean, it's just the workouts all day long. It seems like the flexibility, the, the power, the grace, uh, it's the whole package. And um, uh, we're lucky to have ballet of this level here in this community. Europe has had this sort of event forever. It's a very old culture, very old civilization. Uh, the buildings that the dancers dance in, in Europe, Russia, let's say, 
we don't have any buildings that can even approach the age of those buildings four or 500 years old. Uh, if you think about it, you can tell by our, our architecture how young we are. We really don't have anything in this, in this country that is more than a couple hundred years old, formerly maybe three, and that's stretching it. Um, that, you know, we go over to St. Augustine, we see the fort, and this, that way, and another. But you go in Europe, and you're looking at everything there. Is, uh, you go to Switzerland, you go to places like this, it's all been there for a while. And that indicates the maturity, too, in many ways of the arts in the country. Uh, those buildings have been there for a while. That means that civilization, culture has been there for a while. And it takes a while to develop uh, a kind of appreciation. We're very happy to see that the city of Alachua, which uh, it calls itself the Good Life Community with good reason, has sort of taken um, Dance Alive National Ballet under its wing and is promoting it uh, quite a bit and is holding our big uh, fundraiser coming up, which we'll talk about in a moment uh, in the spring, which is a crowd pleaser uh, at the Legacy Park. So, um, and, you know, Lachua is on the boom. It's got a lot of intelligent, tech-savvy people coming here uh, who are setting up their businesses here who like this kind of community and have young children and all. So Dance Alive, let's talk about what you're doing there, uh, Emily, with the dance programs in the city of Alachua for young people. Yeah, um, Alachua is... Um, been such a great supporter of Dance Alive. Um, actually, uh, the former Adam Bakari, who was the former city manager, correct? City correct. manager? He'll be dancing. Uh, is going to be dancing in our Dancing with the Stars, which happens in March this year at Legacy Park. Um, it's a huge fundraiser that we do. We get um, local celebrities and we pair them up with our professional dancers and just like the show Dancing with the Stars they work, they rehearse and then the day of the event they perform um, and there's a People's Choice Award which is won by how many votes they acquire and a one dollar equals one vote so we have a People's Choice Award and last year Dorian Weeby was the winner of that and then we also have a Judges Choice Award because we'll have three um, professional dance judges so it's a really fun um, event. It's called the Champagne Gala. It's happened for many years. It is the thing to go to in Gainesville. Um, we're so excited to be hosting it. And again, a lot to say, but it's you know, it's it, it, it's yeah. it's the it's all the people come, and it's just it's really really special. And then I'm really excited because. Um, we are also starting a free six-week dance program in Alachua at Legacy Park. Um, I will be leading that. It'll happen on Tuesdays. Um, there's information online about it, but we have it broken up into two groups. So I'll work with students that are kindergarten to fifth grade and then Marvel. fifth, sixth grade to eighth grade. And I'm so excited because we're doing this as a pilot program. Um, but I know that it's going to turn into much more than that. Um, so it's going to be free. It's free to the community. Um, and it's going to be at Legacy Park. It's after school. So we're really excited to bring more dance education um, and provide that to them. We just performed last week. They did their Nutcracker. Um, due to the weather, they actually moved it inside because they were, it wasn't, we were not sure what the weather was going to do. And it was so great inside. And I think what's so great about Alachua and Legacy Park is they just go above and beyond for Dance Alive. I mean, they just make they make the space so welcoming. And then the community in Alachua has just really shown up for us. And they, you know, it's always, a, it's a full house. And again, 
providing and bringing dance to people that maybe wouldn't have seen it or wouldn't have been able to see it. And it's really great. And there's just so many people in Alachua that are just so genuine and kind and just welcoming us with open arms. So it's it's really excited all the work that we're doing in Alachua. Um, the dance program, if you call Legacy Park or if you look online, we have information about that. So if you have a student or know somebody that has a student of that age and they would like to do a, a free dance class, I mean, this is this is the time. So we're just really excited that Alachua is supporting us in this in this venture. And there's a little uh, uh, competition going on. Perhaps I'll, you may know of. If not, I'll, I'll spill the beans now. You know, Adam McCary. Um, was the city manager of Alachua, but Adam McCary was recommended to be the city manager after Clovis Watson Jr. was the city manager. Clovis Watson Jr. is now the sheriff, and Clovis Watson Jr. has laid down the challenge to Adam. Laid it down. He's going to beat Adam in the Dancing with the Stars, and Adam has accepted the challenge. So there are two big powerhouse uh, attractions from the city of Alachua in this year's Dancing with the Stars with the Adam McCarr and Clovis Watson Jr. So um, that's going to be worth the price of admission alone, probably. Oh, I was going to say the <laughs> event. The event is just so much fun, and this year the lineup of stars we have are just amazing people in the community. And like that, I mean, what a fun. Um, competition to have and they work so hard i mean to to work you know it's it, it is not a um i just learned a little a little small step it's a full dance um we partner with paris dance which is the, a ballroom company here in gainesville and you know it's it's a lot of work but it's a lot of fun and all the people that have done it i'm always amazed but you know when we talk to them and they always say it was probably the hardest thing i ever did in my life but it was the most fun i've had and it's so rewarding. So it's it's definitely something um, to mark your calendar to come and see and witness it because it is just the room is full of fun. I mean, it is just an evening of just I think everybody smiles the whole time they're there, which is great. Well, you know, it's um, it, it is a, a lot of fun to see how excited people get about uh, competition. And then, of course, the way we have this set up it's a fundraiser for dance alive and uh these people bring their own followers if you will mm -hmm. and uh, those followers of course cheer on their their favorite and that is uh, a win-win for everybody to have a situation like this where uh everybody gets a little something out of this i can tell you that having been in dance alive uh dancing with the stars years ago that what Emily uh, alluded to is pretty arduous. I think we practiced uh, um, for uh, two or three months, um, once a week. On And I, I found out there was a lot of difference between uh, dancing with a ballerina and dancing on top of a bar table in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> but you look good doing both. <laughs> At the elbow room in Los Angeles and A1A. <laughs> It's a natural. Can I just go from there to uh, uh, center right, stage? Right, just move, just move right in. <laughs> oh, golly. You have to have a little fun with it, you know. And, then, you know, one thing I always remember is I brought my mother to it when she was 100, and, and she danced to Elvis Presley, ain't, uh, ain't nothing but a hound dog. So uh, 
and she pronounced her partner wasn't all that good. <laughs> but then my mother was a dancer and, you know, had one, you know, taught all that stuff. So she had pretty high standards, even at 100. <laughs> We've been talking with Emily Pozak, who is uh, really um, um, absolutely essential to making events like this and people like her uh, make it work. There are a lot of other people who are behind the scenes that uh, eventually we may uh, feature and um, and do their part. And, and some of them just re- enjoy remaining behind the scenes. They don't, <laughs> but Emily is articulate and can tell us the uh, kind of how everything is stitched together for the presentation. It's played a lot of roles for Dance Alive, a national ballet, which is um, very, very much appreciated. So Let's repeat what we've got coming up. And if anybody wants a flex ticket from me, which you trade for a ticket, let me know and I'll get you one. Uh, so it's going to be Saturday night at the Phillips Center and Sunday afternoon at 2 and Saturday night at, fr- uh, at 730. Right? Saturday and Sunday at 2 and 730. Okay. So we have a 2 o'clock on Saturday and a 730 and then a 2 o'clock on Sunday and a 730 on Sunday. Boy, now that's a lot of work for dancers, by the way, in case you haven't figured this out. You know, you wouldn't ask football players to play two games back to back in one day. So this is put because you couldn't in. handle their whining. Yeah, and you know the ba- <laughs> <laughs> basketball players don't play back to back basketball games. So, uh, but in the dance production, which uh, um, these people can do, I won't say without a lot of effort, but it looks as if it doesn't have any effort because of all the work they've put into it and preparing for it. So, Emily, I know you got a busy day today. Thanks for stopping by with us on the Yes, of course. It's always a pleasure to to be with you, Ward. And uh, information can be found on dancealive.org, Dance Alive's on Facebook and on Instagram. But, um, you know, you can call the Phillips Center, but all the information will be there. So I know everyone is so excited to see everybody at the performance this weekend. So thank you so much for having me, Ward. Okay. Well, thanks, Emily, for stopping by and chatting with us. Uh, we're going to be taking a break now at the bottom of the hour for our uh, uh, sponsors. So, um, and probably we'll show you the pig again. So, Emily, have a great day. Yes, you too. Thank you. Bye bye. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Award Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. Check this out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. And now it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. 
All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here. Now is Coach Hogg for a little while, unexpectedly, uh, here in the Coach Hogg's locker room for a moment. Uh, I guess by now you've heard the news. If you haven't heard the news, we're going to present the news for you now that they finally uh, uh, given uh, Urban Meyer the heave-ho, 80-60 mouth to dough uh, of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's no longer the coach. He was informed, as I understand, of this decision by the owner in the middle of the night. I don't know why or how, but I heard that. In fact, I was awakened this morning by the wife, who gets up a little bit earlier than I do, uh, came in and said, did you hear that they fired Urban Meyer in the middle of the night? So uh, I woke up to that in the middle of the morning this morning, and it's not a surprise. You know, uh, we've had a, we've had a situation in Jacksonville which uh, is difficult to dig your way out of. I've always held the opinion uh, that Jacksonville is not the proper venue for a pro football team. Um, I just have that feeling because it's just not a big town that uh, I you know doesn't have a baseball team to go along with the football team and doesn't have a basketball team to go along with the football team. You know, in the big successful places where this NFL thrives, they've got more than one sport franchise. And that sport franchise really sort of becomes the identity of that town. I don't think the Jaguars have ever become the identity of Jacksonville, except in kind of a snickering way, a kind of uh, uh, unbecoming, kind of a begrudging kind of acceptance that they're there. But, you know, why are they there? There have been all these uh, issues over the years about what would it take to make them successful. They were successful momentarily there when Fred Taylor was there. Um, but somehow things just didn't ever materialize. And then there was this talk about, well, maybe they'll make it go if they get Tebow as a pro quarterback. Of course, those guys who pick and select talent know that Tim Tebow was a very good college quarterback, but he wasn't a great uh, pro quarterback. It's sort of the things that some of these quarterbacks get labeled with. Steve Spurrier was one. Uh, Steve Spurrier almost went to Miami, but Garisi went to Miami. And uh, with the exchange of that, it, it changed uh, Steve's career completely because San Francisco took him. And at the time, everybody wondered, why did San Francisco take him? When John Brody's there, who is an all-pro, uh, Steve sat on the bench behind John Brody for 10 years. Uh, Steve was a good enough talent. He could be the punter, which he was for San Francisco. Um, but he never really got in all that many games. He got in some, but John Brody was there first-team player, uh, and Steve spent sent 10 years there and then came down to the Tampa Bay Bucks and was beaten up pretty badly by a team that had an unsuccessful season. I don't know if they ever won a game, and um, there you are. So it's not a given uh, that these high school, uh, uh, I mean, these college players even, uh, I, I think, for example, right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars, that they picked the wrong quarterback. Um, yeah, he looked good at Clemson, but, you know, the thing about him, I've watched, he doesn't have quick feet. Uh, he's not, you know, he, he's just not mobile back there when they put the pass rush on him. Uh, he gets befuddled. Um, generally what the pros are picking now, unless they've got a calm, cool, collected character like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, uh, who know the game so well, they know the you got to get rid of that ball in the three seconds. They know how to look off the defensive players. Uh, and um, they're, all, they're almost like great passers are in NBA basketball. 
uh, Jason Williams comes to mind. Uh, Jason Williams was the best passer that I've ever seen in basketball. And, you know, these quarterbacks are, are, are like Rodgers and these fellas. Uh, even to some extent, uh, the, the guy who's getting older now uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they still have the presence there to, to deliver under pressure. Uh, that's never materialized with the Jacksonville Jaguars' number one pick here from Clemson. Uh, and Lynn, factor in a couple of things then, that the draft picks have been apparently less than stellar uh, and that the town probably is not the right town for them, although that's my opinion, but I'm sticking with it because it's not supported by enough other uh, sports franchises. And then along comes a transition that, uh, many college coaches just simply can't make Saban, Spurrier, some of these guys. Now, some can, some can uh, make the, the the jump from the Seattle coach has obviously. Um, so they, 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 a lot of them don't make the jump from college to to they, they, they clash with the owners for one thing. Uh, uh, you know, the, the owners are, are meddling. You know, that, that 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 Dallas Cowboy owner is meddling all the time in. In decisions, they're not they're not hands off, and it's, I think it's, he's made the Dallas Cowboys worse than uh, than, uh, than 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 rather than better by his intervening in what's going on. So um, there you are. You might have th- thought though that maybe Myers could turn it around because Jimmy Johnson had the same experience when he first went into the pros, and 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 didn't. Uh, uh, have a good first year, but then ended up, you know, going all the way to the the, uh, the Super Bowl. So it can be done, but you have to have a supporting cast. Now, Johnson and the owner of the Cowboys had known each other as players, so they had a little different in college, so they had a little different relationship. So along comes Urban Meyer. Now, Urban Meyer has also made his own problems. Uh, of course, socially, he stepped in it here this year by being seen uh, with the damsel uh, in the nightclub uh, and not going back with his team. Uh, he's not got the best of reputation socially here in Gainesville for his uh, tenure here, if you, if you, um, if you think about it uh, and, and, and think back on it, because the, the, um, uh, the, 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 the social behavior had all sorts of questions and rumors about it. Uh, that I don't want to get into all that, but you probably know it if you're here. Um, I've got my production guys distracting me right now. Um, I'm watching them out of one corner as they um, enjoy breakfast or something. I'm, it's really it's hard enough to do this show without having somebody distract you. So um, the, the the Urban Meyer uh, career here has also been accompanied with um, – um, some unsavory characters that uh, really didn't do too well socially as all the way from, you know, real serious crimes uh, all the way out to just, you know, not attending the classes and this, that one and another. So it's, um, it's, uh, that's also in the, in the, in the file on him. So this doesn't help uh, that he apparently didn't get along well with the players either. And was it uh, some sort of taskmaster? Now you got to remember that these pro players have been through every version of coaches by the time they reach the pros that you can imagine. A lot of them coming up through this process of being yelled at and everything from the time they were little kids, 
even their fathers getting involved, of course, from the time they're little kids. And so by the time they've reached the pro level, uh, you pretty much can't beat up on them uh, to motivate them. They've been beat up. They've come through all that. They understand it. Uh, what you've got to do, I think, is be cerebral. You've got to be very crafty. You've got to be very strategically knowledgeable. Uh, they've got to believe in that, uh, that you can teach that and instill that in them as they are, are, are uh, conducting their lives out on the field. Um, if you can get them to that, where they really think you're a master strategist, and the great good teams have, of course, uh, an extension of that in, in, in terms of Rodgers and Brady, those guys are, in effect, coaches on the field. They are master strategists. Well, put that in the, in, the, in, the, in the situation with Urban, and you don't have that kind of help. He's not going to get that kind of help from that quarterback because the kid just doesn't have, have it yet, if he ever has it. So uh, that was a, a strike against Urban from the beginning. And then if people don't really remember this, but I got to tell you, uh, the first time I attended a spring game here at the University of Florida, the for first spring game under Urban Meyer, uh, the, he had bull in the ring in the center of the field. And I was sitting with a guy, a friend of mine, who's never been uh, in the locker room, uh, never been, you know, in, inside the huddle, if you will, uh, never been inside this pit that uh, is the world of athlete, football coaching and playing, uh, where it's it's really, you know, if you've been in there, you, you, it becomes a memorable experience, let's put it that way. And, I, I, and a lot of things that we do on the field, we, we don't show to the public. And Bull in the Ring was one of them. Uh, if you've ever seen Bull in the Ring, it's going on right out here on the farm right now. There are several little bulls, and we have a bull hole that they somehow create uh, themselves. And they get in that, even as little fellas, and begin to practice who's going to be the dominant bull. And they don't have to be very old before they're doing it. And they're pushing each other around in that bull hole and trying to knock the other one out of it. And, of course, that bull will go on. If you have two competing bulls in a field with, uh, with uh, females, uh, one of those bulls is going to be the breeding bull. He will knock the other bull off the pedestal, so to speak. So the little bulls are already preparing for that to be the alpha bull. And that's what we do in football is we imitate that with bull in the ring. And the way bull in the ring works is we put a player in the middle of a ring of players, and then we give a hut hut, and somebody comes out of that ring, and the guy in the middle doesn't know where that guy's coming from. And uh, he's got to turn and face that charging player and butt him out of the ring, or that charging player is going to butt that guy out of the ring. And it can get pretty darn down and dirty. And Myers was doing that in public in the spring game, his first spring game here. And I said to my uninitiated friend, I said, you know, I don't know if, I, uh, if he should be showing uh, the average people this event. Uh, this is not something uh, we, we go backstage and show people. So uh, and if you'll notice, by the way, uh, you can't get in most athletic uh, practices. Uh, you try to get into a gator practice and you see what happens to you. So, you know, you got to have ID. you got to be clear. This is nothing that you get to go watch. So uh, this is the, he did this bull in the ring publicly. 
And I said, oh, well, yeah. And then on top of that, he had an attitude, which I've seen many and many of time and actually have participated in some way in this behavior. Uh, I'll just tell you right now, uh, the bad players that he felt weren't tough enough or were too lazy or in our, in our case, it was even if they didn't have the right haircuts, um, you know, we just didn't suit you up for the spring game. We put you on the sideline. I'm just going to talk what Meyer did. We put you on the sideline and we had you there publicly disgraced and you would do push-ups or you would do sit-ups or you would do some other thing there on the sideline while everybody else was, uh, you know, out there participating in the spring game. The thing he had going on that eventually I understand he had negative, pretty strong negative feedback from, is he had guys he really didn't like carrying rocks up the stadium steps with chains on their legs as discipline for not being tough enough to play for him. Now, some of these guys were black. And after the, that, that session, which was done out in public, I'm told, and I have no reason to believe what I heard was wrong, some people went to Urban Meyer. Who, he's a Yankee. He's from Ohio. And, 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 and some people went to Urban Meyer and said, Coach, you're in the deep south, even though Florida is not really a southern state. It's a Yankee state. It's not like Mississippi and Georgia and Alabama. But, Coach, you're in the deep south. And I don't know, we don't know if you're doing the right thing by having black guys carry rocks with chains around their ankle up the stadium steps for discipline. So that's my memory of the first spring game I ever saw conducted by Urban Meyer. Now, people excuse winners. Winners can do anything they want to do. And that's the whole idea of striving to win. Um, you, you, you know, you remember the old story of Joe Namath, uh, my golly, he went to New York and wore the white fur coat and he would get pulled over in his big Cadillac and all, and they just forgive him and never give him a ticket. That's a common story that the jock gets pulled over and he gets a different form of justice. Um, uh, now it's changed a little bit in that lately we've got these murderous people in the NFL who are really bad guys who are beating up the women and all that. And finally, the NFL had to come out publicly and really hammer that. But if there hadn't been any blowback from the public, it's my contention the NFL wouldn't have done anything if the guy was a winner, if the guy was super good. Aaron Hernandez is a good example. Aaron Hernandez had Ron Bronkowski, Bronkowski beat out. Now, think about that. Ron Gronkowski is my favorite NFL football player. He is a real, honest-to-God football player. He is a dream football player. He's big. He's fast. He's agile. He can, get, he can recover from injuries. He's smart. He's funny. He's a team guy. You know, he's a total package. Aaron Hernandez was actually beginning to play more than Gronkowski for the New England Patriots. And here he was, a murderous character. And had he not been just completely off the rails, I think he signed a $45 million contract. Uh, that was just incredible. That, that, uh, um, and, and, there, and that was a Myers guy. Now, there are several 
I'm told unsolved crimes, murders here in this community of Alachua, or I mean Gainesville, right now in Alachua County in Gainesville, that trace back per, to Aaron Andrew, Aaron uh, Hernandez. Uh, of course, Aaron Andrews was the Dazzler. That's quite a different story. But Aaron Hernandez. And, and um, you know, that's all under Urban Meyer. So um, he goes, though, and wins. So this is sort of overlooked. He goes to Ohio State. He wins there, but there are some sort of scandals following him at Ohio State. So now people have noticed that is Urban Meyer going to be out of a job? No, he won't be out of a job. He won't be picked. Uh, listen, once you're in the coaching fraternity, ask Bobby Petrino. Once you're in the coaching fraternity of football, I can't speak for baseball. Uh, I can't speak for these other athletic events. But once you're in the fraternity of football coaches, you're never going to be kicked out. You're going to be one. Of, you're one of us. OK, and you're going to stay in that and you're going to be called coach all your life. And we're going to find a place for you. Just ask Zook or any of these other characters that have uh, must champ, any of these guys that have uh, McElwain, any of these guys that failed. Well, they get picked up and, you know, somewhere else. So it's, it, it, you know, you get up to the NFL level, even the college level, you really, uh, uh, you don't, you don't uh, have to hit the road. You'll be, you'll be picked up by somebody. Uh, you might not be the head coach again, but you might be the offensive coordinator or you might be uh, whatever. And, and um, so it's a, it is a closed shop, so to speak. And once you're in it, uh, you're not going – you might move around, but you're not going to be kicked out of it. So I would predict that Urban Meyer – he's been – you know, the last time he got out of coaching, he became an announcer. And then we've got scoundrels who were – scoundrels who got in all sorts of trouble uh, uh, and now they're announcers, uh, big time announcers. And, and uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just another aspect of being a celebrity. So um, the great Urban Meyer, I think, will probably be back in coaching somewhere soon. Um, probably not. And the pro level might not be for him. Um, it's just one of those things. You got to deal with owners. Um, and they, they can be, they can be a pain in the rear. They, they, they really can. So, and then you've got this, this type of athlete who is already a celebrity himself, or he wouldn't be there. And so you got to handle all those delicate egos. And somehow you got to put that all together and mesh it together in a team. And obviously good coaches can do that. But if you take a look, generally they have a good player who helps them. And you take a look at these teams or get to the top here and compete for the gold ring here, and you'll see that they've got probably a very good, it all starts with that quarterback, uh, a very good quarterback leader. And, uh, and that, 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 makes all, that makes all the wheels turn. So that's my analysis as Coach Hogg of, of Urban Meyer. I always will remember uh, the, the situation uh, with um, – uh, Meyer in the first spring game. Now, COVID is affecting the NFL pretty seriously. Uh, about 75 guys, I just read in an article a moment ago, and I, I stand to be corrected if it's because uh, I don't have the article in front of me. I'm just quoting from memory, uh, have tested positive for COVID, even though 
uh, NFL has got this, you know, you must be vaccinated. In fact, the NFL has now got a policy that every single player and all the people in, on the staffs have to be fully vaccinated. Uh, the only college player that I know that pulled this off uh, uh, was uh, uh, Lane Kiffin at Mississippi. Very early on, Lane, and, and you know, that's remarkable, really. Lane Kiffin uh, got his whole team uh, to be convinced they should be vaccinated and the staff. So I don't think that was ever accomplished at Florida. I don't think anybody ever even tried at Florida. Um, but uh, the NFL now has decided there's too much money involved here. And these players, if they miss if the game that the Green Bay Packers lost was the game when Rodgers was not their quarterback. And he was out because he'd taken it upon himself to develop his own home brew, you know, of COVID uh, uh, inoculation, so to speak. Uh, he wasn't going to take uh, the government approved uh, version. He had his own way of doing it. And it cost him. He got the COVID and he was out and he cost his team. And uh, you can see what a difference it makes. The guy came in there behind him, couldn't move the team at all. As soon as Rogers returns, the team starts moving like crazy. So um, uh, he's he's absolutely worth all of that. So what is his obligation then to his team? Is this not his obligation? See, this is kind of a microcosm of the society at large. If if his team loses without him because he's got his own drummer, he he marches to. Uh, doesn't he owe it to his team? Uh, and that's what Biden said. Oh, Sleepy Joe. Uh, he went out here the other day someplace, I think it was Kentucky, and said, listen, you tell everybody to get vaccinated. You players in these leagues, you get all these guys vaccinated because if they don't, they're going to cost their team possibly even a trip to the championship. So there are 75 players that are right now COVID tested positive. It really hurt the Cleveland Browns a while back. So we're getting down to crunch time. And, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there are so-called breakthroughs in uh, the NFL because these guys are all sweaty and they're in the pile together and they, they really, you know, grabbing each other and all that. They're pretty darn, they ain't no social distancing, let's put it that way. So uh, we'll see how that affects the NFL. So uh, <clears throat> COVID in, 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 the, in that league has been uh, brought up uh, to uh, a high standard. Uh, they've just, uh, the, the, the league leaders and, uh, uh, all of them said, listen, everybody, everybody, everybody on every team we got in the pros is going to be vaccinated. They're not playing. They're just not going to play. So you've got to show that you've been vaccinated. At least then we can say we tried, you know, but if you're just going to take an Aaron Rodgers position that, oh, well, it doesn't apply to me. Well, we're not going to we're not going to let you on the field. So that's one of the that's one of the interesting things. Now, I don't think that entered into anything going on with uh, with uh, uh, Urban Meyer at all. It never uh, seemed to be uh, of, 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 of the, the root cause of his problems. <clears throat> now, we know in the state of Florida that Ron DeSantis has come out, uh, you know, with this, uh, the mass thing is up to the discretion of the individual. But on the other hand, uh, he's always been encouraging of the, of the vaccines. And uh, we, uh, I, the last statistic I heard was that the state of Florida has an enormous number of fully vaccinated people in it. And um, 
um, that's to be that's to be applauded. And I think that starts at the head uh, leadership. At the same time, we haven't ruined our economy by shutting down the schools. And uh, one of the ways in which uh, uh, COVID has affected the economy is the restaurants have uh, now reduced their menu. And not only have they reduced their menus, uh, not all of them, but quite a number of them, they've uh, reduced, reduced the, the, the size of the uh, uh, portions on the menu that you get, uh, which in some cases is not, not a bad idea because I tell you, some of the restaurants you go into, uh, you take a look at just your average old all-American staple, and that's the, the cheeseburger. Uh, they some of these they some they some of these cheeseburgers you can eat four or five meals off of. So it's uh you know that's one of the effects that some of the restaurants have done have cut down on the portions and probably there's some pluses in that but they've also cut down on the options mm -hmm. and everywhere you go now uh, you'll see uh, uh, that uh, the the uh, um, COVID has had an effect on, of course, staffing. Um, and we're not even going to get into the whole effects of, you know, of the way it's being played out in crime. But on uh, staffing, I, I hear stories every day. I heard a story yesterday from a lady who went to a uh, pharmacy here that shall remain unnamed and waited for 45 minutes for uh, to get not just a prescription filled, but practically to get the attention of the lone person filling the prescriptions. Uh, and the lady who was working was very apologetic to the customer saying, I just can't go any faster. Uh, we just don't have any help and can't get any help. Uh, all these doggone uh, dominoes are gonna fall here pretty soon. So um, I would suspect one piece of advice to give you is figure out a way to protect the value of your dollar. Um, there's no point in having it in savings. Um, the pitiful amount of money that the banks are giving you will be eaten up in a 24-hour cycle by inflation. It can get a lot worse. You've got to figure out some other place to put your money. Uh, at, on the other hand, if the Fed goes up on the uh, interest rates and, and the loans are uh, you know, more expensive, the banks do make quite a bit off of that, but they don't pass it along to you, the customers who have your money in the bank. So... Uh, Great show today. Check, check in with Dance Alive, a national ballet. And um, see, it's a wonderful event. It's got wonderful people in it. It's got everything from young people to the older experienced dancers. So um, that's my take on the Urban Meyer saga. And um, I'm sure you'll hear many different versions of what people think about it. It's just another day in the world of coaching. And um, that's why you get paid the big bucks, right? Uh, Warthog Command Center out.